Biblical Counseling Journeys on this edition of Truth and Love. Johnson, and you're listening to Truth and Love, a podcast of the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors, where we seek to provide biblical solutions for the problems that people face. This week on the podcast, I'm delighted to have with me a dear friend, Dr. Jen Chen. She was licensed as a clinical psychologist in 2002 with a doctorate in clinical psychology and a master's in marriage and family therapy. She was formally trained in multiple evidence-based practices in psychology, co-authoring a book on those practices when she received biblical counseling in 2011. As a result, she completed her MABC and left psychology. She is ACBC certified and has taught at conferences, universities, and a seminary in biblical counseling. She currently counsels at Lighthouse Community, and she has been married to her husband, Peter, since 1996, and they cherish their teenage son, Garrett. Uh, Jen is deeply grateful for how biblical counseling has transformed her faith, her life, and her counsel. Jen, so grateful always to be together and grateful that you're here today with us on the podcast. Oh, such a privilege to be here. This is going to be fun as we talk about stories. It's always fun for me to uh, get to know people and a little bit about their life. I've had the privilege of hearing the story, and I thought it would be such an encouragement to so many of our listeners to hear a little bit about you and your journey to biblical counseling. You have a unique story, Jen, and and I want you to first just sort of introduce yourself. I know that's always awkward to, to talk about yourself a little bit, but just background, a little bit about Jen Chen, who she is, your context in life. I mentioned in your bio that married, have a son, some of your training. Just fill us in a little bit on Jen Chen and, and by the providence of the Lord, start us into your story. Yes. So my name is Jen Chen. I am actually, my name kind of belies me, but I'm actually a Japanese American, fourth generation. My parents were not believers. Part of Japanese culture is a very deep moralism. And so my parents would drop us off at Sunday school because they wanted us to have good morals and be around good people. So I grew up kind of learning some Bible verses, and I actually have good memories of church, but I think I also walked away not really understanding the gospel and feeling like I just fell short, which was true, but I don't think I got the good news of that Jesus is the gospel and that it's not about me and my works or my goodness, but about Christ's. And I struggled in my teenage years and ended up in secular therapy. And during that time, also walked away from the church because I felt like I wasn't good enough to be a Christian. And interestingly enough, in my graduate or undergraduate years through struggle, ended up going back into Christianity, hearing the gospel again, and really wanting to make Christ my savior when I started to grasp this idea of he died for my sins. And by then I had a lot more of them than when I had it as a teenager. And I had, was also in the therapy at the time. So I just had this idea of, oh, wow, it's my faith and my therapy that have made me function so much better. And I grew up in Southern California. At the time, there were multiple schools of integration, and I had no thought even to think that why this would be a not good thing. So I went and got my marriage and family degree. And after that, still no idea. What am I doing? How do I actually help people? And I really wanted to help the least of these, not just help families and relationships, but I was really actually interested in helping the really hardcore cases. 
part of my history too, I think being Japanese American, being aware of oppression and wanting to just, I think I had more of a social gospel at that point of, I need to save people from oppression, from suffering. So then I also went to a seminary to get my doctoral degree and learned even more about multicultural counseling. But then I slipped into more of a, but I want to know what helps people best. And so then I went more the kind of more scientific route. And that's when evidence-based practices were starting to develop. And I was also seeing how they were more applied to more of a middle, middle-class white worldview. But kind of the training I got was very postmodern. So in some ways I would rail against it, but I was still thinking, well, what can I take from this that will be helpful? And then, boom, my own issues. I happened to be attending a church that provided biblical counseling. So honestly, at first, when I was receiving biblical counseling, he handed me a a study Bible. And I was like, wow, no, he's really serious. This is biblical counseling. And I still have this image of him handing it. And it was like, it was never like, you are from psychology. You're wrong. You need to think these. But my experience was, let me show you a better way. At first, I thought, oh, this is Christian CBT. And then when I started to see my heart and I started to see my triune redeemer, I realized how vastly different it was. And all the false gospels I'd been pointing to through my training and how would I give people true life? No, that's that's so intriguing. And you're an intriguing individual in part because of your background and some of the places that the Lord has has taken you. We recently did a panel together on uh, the issue of trauma. And uh, it's just very apparent that the Lord is even now using some of your training in the evidence-based practices. I want you to talk a little bit about even before you coming to biblical counseling, uh, some of the primary things that you focused on relative to study, you studied at a very high level, you taught at a very high level. Give us a little bit of, uh, of that background before you discovered biblical counseling. It's interesting because even in undergrad, I took an Asian American psychology class. And that's when I think I started to really become aware of the worldviews and how even psychology pathologized my culture, other cultures, and said, this is what's normal and this is what's not. And then said that this was, I wouldn't say they say it was scientific, but these are authorities claiming what is normal. And then I would take classes and then see it from a Caucasian view and think from an Asian American view. And I think just, I was, God developed me as a very curious person. And so I got to do different worldviews every year. So I did one year in humanistic. I did one year in CBT. I did several years in neuropsychology. And then eventually the evidence-based practices are based around cognitive behavioral therapies. And I think when I hit dialectical behavioral therapy, that's how it, in my mind, I was able to kind of synthesize all these different worldviews. But yet in Doing these evidence-based practices and and learning from the top people in the field, I was also seeing there were some successes, but there was never anything 100%. And then also what how they described success, as well as it wasn't like every person that did this. So even dialectical behavioral therapy, which is supposedly this gold standard for a lot of things now, maybe had a 50% success rate and then how they define success. 
And then also for me, I, I worked 20 years in the inner city and then trying to apply these supposed evidence-based practices to my population, it was very clear that there was a disconnect between worldviews of the people I was helping and, and theirs. But when I started utilizing biblical counseling, it was universal. It wasn't culturally based. Maybe how I like would talk about the Bible, I would consider their culture. But at the same time, it was the word. It was this, you know, and, and I think the other thing I noticed that I'd been reading about psychology since the, the, the early 80s and just watching these trends come and go and people saying, no, this is why this is. And no, that's wrong. No, this is this. Or even in the neurosciences where they've talked about, oh, we have this reptilian brain. And, you know, that was actually debunked in the 90s. And yet it still is around today. And so all these things that come and go, but then they stick around, you know, seeing the self-esteem movement, seeing the codependent movement of the 80s, and now we're in the biological sciences and all of that. And then also I had a supervisor who was in forensic psychology and he, working with him for a year, it's just, how would this hold up in court? And just seeing how the research if I were to say this to a lay audience, how much it did not make sense of how, like, say, the MMPI was developed or how. So it just I start before biblical counseling, I saw a lot of holes in psychology already. It wasn't like, oh, I love psychology and now there's biblical counseling. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I think, you know, you spent many, many years and, and you were you were able to see some of those trends come and go. And, and that's been a part of the history of, of psychology itself and psychiatry particularly as well. But I, I'm interested to, to hear a little bit more about the story, how you were exposed to biblical counseling. So that's always a unique thing, especially somebody who, you know, your livelihood is, is rooted in teaching these types of methodologies, even practicing, as you mentioned, in inner city. So just talk about how you were exposed to biblical counseling and, and, and a little bit about that journey. Yes, there was a period in my life where we were actually going through infertility, and that's when I knew I lost my faith, but I didn't know how to find it. And then we, probably six years after my son was born, we were looking for new churches, and because our church was too far away just location-wise, and we landed at Lighthouse Community Church. And while we were there, I started getting really sick. I had panic attacks. I lost 20 pounds in probably three months. And I was using everything I knew from psychology, the best of the best, and talking to people. And it was barely treading water still. And, and it did turn out that I had parasites. And so some of this was a physiological response. And yet at the same time, it really brought out my heart, my fears, my idolatries, my suffering. But being able to see all of that in light of our triune redeemer. So it was really for me, biblical counseling of what is really the problem and then what is my heart, but also the world around me. We have an evil one that wants to kill, steal and destroy. And my heart tempted, but then also the suffering of living in a Genesis 3 world. And then the solution is the gospel. And it can sound so simple and trite if you don't grasp it. Because I think if I hadn't received biblical counseling, I would have thought it was so simplistic. And I'd also been told that biblical counseling was either simplistic 
or even harmful. Yeah, that makes sense. And it's just interesting to me as I hear a little bit more about that story, the depth of impact that it's had on your life. Talk a little bit about from those days moving forward, um, the genuine impact, that, not not the method and technique of biblical counseling, but but the word and the God behind it and how you've been impacted by some of these concepts of biblical counseling. So one of my idols definitely was performance. And so some people think that I went to school because I was so smart. And then I got all this training because I was so smart. But honestly, it felt because I felt so insufficient to help people. And if I just got enough training and if I just knew the right things, then I would be able to help people. And then come to find out it was because I was seeking the wrong solutions. But then mostly for my own heart of how I now am aware of my idolatries, but even more aware of the God who died to save me from myself and to save me from this world, to save me from the evil one. And that this whole idea of progressive sanctification, this whole idea of him transforming me, like I have been able to love people that in the past I would have just wrote off. Things that Jen in her own flesh is never capable of. And then the word, it was honestly in my training at school and seminary, it just actually became more confusing to me. I think because this postmodern and it did get to this point where I can't know truth from the Bible because I am this Japanese American here in this time and place. And it was written by these people and they had their biases. I have my biases. We all have our biases. We can't know truth. And when I began to understand how to understand the Bible and understand the God of the Bible, it's like his word became life. And it really was, it is God breathed. It is what he has given me to know him and to point others to him and to know what true hope is, not in me performing perfectly, not in me knowing the right technique to work with somebody, and not even me having to quote, save somebody through my my knowledge and my expertise and my anything else. It is them knowing God and also being able to let go of when I am faithful, the fruits are in God's hands. You know, I water or I plant somebody else, you know, plants, but God gives the growth. So letting go of a lot of my being able to not be enslaved to me. As you're talking about that, I'm I'm thinking uh, back to my own counseling experience and just what a what a brilliant thing it is when you sit down with someone and they begin to see the scriptures the way that you just described and you see a person begin to cling to hope in a way that they never thought was possible before. And you begin to see their life radically changed, moving in a different direction, the joy that they experience from something that had held them so bound. Man, what a joy that is. You're very involved now, Jen, in the biblical counseling world, biblical counseling movement in general. Talk a little bit about what what makes you so committed to biblical counseling and, and why you have given lots of time and effort and thought into our movement and you're consistently contributing. So why are you so involved now? Because I see the huge difference of a false gospel and a true gospel and just seeing the difference in my own heart and then seeing that difference in those I counsel, I think, but also seeing how sometimes certain things might creep up and how they, if I didn't have the training I had, I wouldn't necessarily be discerning of even some of the pseudoscience that's presented and just 
how just trying to be faithful to God of how he to steward the experiences I had, because honestly, at first I was so horrified. I can't believe I spent all that time there when I could have been learning God's word, when I could have been learning theology, but being able to be faithful with how his purpose for me. It's interesting to me as I think about your story and I remember the history of the biblical counseling movement. One of the great discussions is, should we redeem psychology? Should we reclaim psychology? I think your story actually demonstrates the way the Lord redeems psychology is what you put now in effort into the biblical counseling world. You have a full understanding of, as you described it, the false gospels that are proposed in that therapeutic culture. And now you see the beauty of the the one true gospel of Christ and how he redeems radically, changes lives of people, offers them hope when there seems to be no hope. And what a what a wonderful story. Jen, it's always fun to hang out. So grateful for your time today. And it's uh, I'm so glad that we're getting to introduce uh, your story to, to so many people. Thank you. What a privilege to, to be with you again and to share God's redemptive story. You're listening to Truth and Love, a podcast of ACBC. You know, I love talking about these journey stories. What an encouraging testimony we just heard from Jen Chen. We hear so many of these testimonies of how the Lord has used His Word in the lives of counselors and counselees. You know what? Tomorrow is Giving Tuesday, and we're always encouraged by how many of you partner with ACBC year after year, supporting the work that the Lord is doing here. We're able to provide resources like our Truth and Love podcast because of the generosity of partners just like you. And this giving season, would you consider supporting ACBC as the year comes to a close? You can find out more information in the show notes on this particular episode and on all of our social media platforms. Thank you so much for listening, and I'm so grateful for listeners just like you and the way the Lord uses you to care for us and to do His work through ACBC. I'm incredibly thankful. So remember, you can go to our show notes or our website to find out how to donate. Uh, go to biblicalcounseling.com.